You're listening to episode number 18 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, we're exploring the recruitment and retention polarity with Lori Shaparsky. She's leveraged this polarity herself and coached many other leaders and organizations on how to leverage it. She shares some great insights and strategies, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. It's Michelle and Tracy, and we just wrapped up another awesome podcast, and we had a very special guest today, Lori Shaparsky. And what we did is we built off a polarity that Tracy and I did in a previous episode, and that was episode number seven, Recruitment and Retention. And we reached out to Lori because she has done a tremendous amount of work in the field uh, with this particular polarity. And what was really fun about it is Tracy and Lori and I worked together as leaders in a very busy critical care unit for many years. And Lori was the director, I was the clinical nurse specialist, and Tracy was the lead respiratory therapist. And we dealt with this polarity back then. (laughs) Of course we did. (laughs) Of course we did. (laughs) But what really struck me, Tracy, during the interview is how a lot has changed over the years because of technology and you know we're in different roles and you know healthcare has changed but really nothing's changed at all right nope all still the same it's all still the same <laughs> and you guys will appreciate that when you listen to this interview so Lori is really going to walk us through um, some valuable action steps and how she has really leveraged creativity and innovation with staffing around the recruitment retention polarity Yeah, she's got some fabulous um, examples and stories, and I just love the creative approaches that she takes in working with uh, organizations. You're going to love Lori, but let let me tell you a little bit more about her. Um, Lori's got lots of years, many, many years of experience. You know, she's in critical care nursing, healthcare leadership. She's an entrepreneur. Uh, she's been a trailblazer when it comes to advancing healthcare through evidence-based interprofessional practice, um, automation of cl- healthcare documentation, and, uh, you know, implementing staffing and scheduling systems, as well as leadership development, organizational change. The list goes on and on. Uh, she is a principal at Edgework Institute, and and she continues to partner with healthcare organizations to help them really strategically plan their success and uh, turnaround operations. She's got a list of you know expertise, things that she's an expert in, um, you know, health or hospital system, you know, turnarounds, clinical financial expertise, innovative staffing, physician practices. I mean, you name it, she can do it. So. We'll put a link in our show notes so that you can go out to their website, Edgework Institute. And uh, and the other thing about Lori is she's a walking polarity, which you'll learn a little bit more about, you know, when you listen to the podcast. But um, she is very creative. And so we're going to leave a link as well because she's not only very wise consultant and leader in healthcare, she's an artist and very creative. So mm-hmm. we're going to put a link in the show notes so that you can um, see her art, which is just phenomenal and beautiful. Um, but then Lori is also the president of the board for the Ashland Institute, which includes the women's leadership program called Coming Into Your Own. And she's very dedicated to helping women and all leaders find their power and purpose in life. And uh, she's just a joy to know and a gift in our lives. And we are just thrilled to share her with you today. So without further ado, here's Lori Shaparsky. Wow, Lori Shaparsky, we are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you. 
I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we've been looking so forward to this. This is like old times. It is. <laughs> we better not go too far back. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to share all our stories. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we're just we're just very grateful, Lori, that you uh, set aside some time to talk with our listeners and share all your wisdom, um, especially, you know, you've got a lot of experience when it comes to staffing challenges and recruitment and retention and those kinds of things. So before we go there, we just believe that you're a walking polarity, my dear. You do so well with the whole, you know, wisdom and creativity. You know, you're all brains and all creativity. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you balance those poles. Well, uh, that's a really good question. Um, You know, I, I think in the work I do, the consulting work I do, um, I have I have to look at a lot of spreadsheets and do a lot of analytics and, um, you know, produce proposals and all of that. And so the more I can beef up and give time to the creative side, it kind of affects my creativity in the left brain thing, you know, parts of my life. So so um, I, it's really important to have a good balance of both. And so I, I um, meditate daily, which helps my intuition grow. And I think I think of that as part of my my uh, my right brain, I guess. And I like to be in nature and, um, you know, take walks and just be um, listening to music painting and writing. Um, I took painting up a few years ago, never thought I could ever do it, but I really did it to, to, you know, try to exercise my own creativity. And it teaches so much about trusting in yourself and being willing to make mistakes. And so I, I got a whole bunch of other things out of the creative side, you know, that, that helps me like when I'm leading groups even and um having groups that need to be sparked in the creative side they just want to get to the problem and fix it when we hadn't had a time yet to to have some fun to think differently so so anyway i i appreciate you asking that question because i think it's really important to have a good good balance of both yeah, it does. And we're going to have to schedule some time to go to Lori's and have her do a painting session with us. Absolutely. And the paintings she's done have been just, oh, they're beautiful. Yeah, Lori. we'll put a link on our show notes <laughs> mm-hmm. so people can get a chance to see the beautiful artwork that you mm-hmm. create. Mm-hmm. So Lori, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about how you were introduced to polarity thinking or and polarity management and how you've applied it over the years. Uh, well, it's, I think about 20, 20 years ago. Um, seems like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Who's when, when we were just teenagers, is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, came across uh, Barry Johnson's book, Clarity Management, and then at the time was doing a lot of work across the country in healthcare and a lot of what he wrote really resonated. And so, you know, I went through a lot of trainings and became a facilitator and then trained other people and um, really just incorporated it in every single thing that I, first, first of all, on a personal level, you know, it helped me a lot with just my own life and family and, you know, applying it that way. And, um, and then over the years, I, I've used it in almost every workshop, whether it's explicit or not. You know, I may share uh, some parts of it if I have a group that that uh, just needs to hear it a different way. But I also use it uh, in, I said, like my consulting work um, and also when I've done coaching work with others and helping them when they're stuck. I mean, anytime there's a stuckness somewhere, if it's a person or an organization, it usually means, you know, the energy's stuck and it's just not going to do anything until you take a look at the deeper dynamics going on. Um, 
And also with my international women's work, um, I am the president of the board for um, faculty all over the world, and it's called Coming Into Your Own. And polarity management is is definitely introduced in that um, in those workshops, and I use it, you know, on the board too with leading the the board members. So so anyway, just a lot of any every project basically. I'm thinking this way. It's like I can't turn it off. So <laughs> I know, isn't that the truth? It is. Once you, it's like once you know it, you can't unknow it, right? And then you can't not think that way. Exactly. Right. Right. And that's the beautiful <laughs> that's part right. of it, right? It reminds me of my kids when they see a picture, and they go, "Oh, I can't unsee that." <laughs> <laughs> once you become a polarity thinker, you can't unthink it. Yeah, and you can't unsee the polarities in front of <laughs> you. Right? right. That's right. Well, we know that, you know, you have, um, you're just, you're a master at this and you're a role model for application, obviously. You apply it everywhere you can. And and uh, I think that's, you know, that's one of the big steps. It's it's not enough to know about them, right? Like you got to apply the thinking and really go through the processes to, to peel back the layers of the onions of the stuckness, right, that you're experiencing. And we know you've managed, you know, when it comes to the staffing problem, we know that underneath problems oftentimes are polarities as well, right? And being able to differentiate between the two is is essential. And we know that as a director and a you know leader and healthcare organizations and of course in your consulting business, you've been able to, you know, help others as well as for yourself manage the polarity around recruitment and retention when it comes to staffing and and, uh, and before we kind of dive into some of the action steps and things that you've got some expertise around, um, I think it'd be great just to talk a little bit about, you wrote a blog last year um, around staffing. It was, it was really titled, Are You Staying Afloat with Staffing and Avoid These Five Common Mistakes? And we'll put a link in the show notes too, Lori, so people can um, go out and read the blog as well. But just just tell us a little bit about, you know, what what spurred you to write that blog mm-hmm. and um, and talk a little bit about these five common mistakes that you have seen. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the reason I wrote it, um, you know, it's such a common issue for everyone. And I continually see and witness like leaders swinging from one end to the other. overstaffed, understaffed, overstaffed, understaffed, you know, Um, and neither one is good. (laughs) You you know, they're, they're (laughs) stressful, they're stressful and, and um, they can really be, it can really bring morale down quickly, you know, for people. So um, I really just put some of the the thinking and some of the strategies out there to have people look at it in a different way and see, I called them big dynamics, you know, operating underneath those daily problems. And I try, sometimes I just try to uh, put different words and, you know, like don't make it too analytical, like try to have them understand without even using the word polarity thinking. I know, um, you know, I just, I, I think people, um, they can grab on to the concepts of it without some of the wording getting in the way, I think. And, but anyway, by understanding those dynamics, um, things become very predictable and leaders like predictability, you know? (laughs) So if you say that, you know, people are like, yeah, well, how can you predict, you know, and, and how, if you understand those, the dynamic, you can, not only predict my, what might happen if you err to, you know, are too strong one way or the other um, with like recruitment and retention. Um, you can also, you know, easily identify the actions that you could take to approach the whole thing in a balanced way. So, so I wanted to share some of my key successes and put out there and, you know, some of it, it's some of it's not all that new. It's just about getting reminded too that hey, you know, there's a different way to think about the issues. The issues are really I haven't seen change a whole lot in 20 years around staffing, you know. Um, so anyway, um, that's why I wrote it. 
Yeah, I was sharing with Tracy earlier. I just have to share this. I'm sorry. <laughs> that Watch it, out, Lori. Here it comes. <laughs> in getting ready for this podcast, I had this flashback of you standing in front of a large auditorium of critical care s- staff saying, look, guys, the issue of staffing is never going to go away. And that was before you knew about polarity thinking and polarity management. <laughs> well, it's the truth, isn't it? It is. I told Tracy, I remember what you had on that day. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is funny. I know. The things that stick with her. It's amazing, isn't it? But it's, you know, that's a, you were wise before you even knew what that really meant. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's great that you wrote that blog. Um, it's it's very good to really help bring out, you know, the five common mistakes um, and really move people into taking action steps to so that we don't get into those mistakes. So when we think about recruitment, retention, what are some of the things that um, have you have been giving advice on when it comes to taking action steps for the, that specific polarity? Um, yeah, I uh, one of the very first things that that I do is I teach uh, nurse managers, directors how to conduct a staffing forecast analysis. So. You know, um, I did. I just did this uh, not too long ago with a uh, with all the OR um, and periop people where I'm at right now. And first of all, they never all looked at staffing together. We'd like the OR was over here, the PACU was over there, the same day stay. You know, so even just getting them all in a room. And I said, I taught. You know, I had them bring some things, but what that forecasting does. I like to have managers do it, uh, unit managers do it every six months because that seems about the time that you can really tell if there's going to be any changes. Um, And then that way, as they do the forecasting, what they do is, you know, we just put the flip chart paper up or, and we start to, to, you know, fill in the blanks around what are expected terminations, leave of absences, turnover, retirements, orientation time, vacancies, skill mix issues. Um, and it all kind of fits together with the budget and managing productivity. So um, so when we start to forecast and say, here's where we are, one of the strategies is to, to plan higher ahead. Well, if you know I've got four retirements coming up in six months and it takes nine months to grow a OR nurse, you know, I mean, you can just, that's what I'm saying. You can, but you have to have a handle on it. You can't just say, I need more staff. Okay. So this forecast actually helps them talk with their um, vice presidents um, with the CFO, um, gives them a concrete, you know, uh, and with HR to do the plan with HR, you know, and, um, so anyway, that's one of the really important key skills, I think, um, that, that each unit needs to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think one of the things we talked about in a previous episode was there's kind of the long game and yeah. the short game, right? Because, and that's kind of a long game strategy, that, it is. that yeah. action I, step. Yeah, and I mean, I do a mix of both. Um, you know, uh, both short-term and long-term, you know, strategies. Um, one of the other things that's also a long-term strategy is I, I teach nurse managers and directors, and often I will write, uh, you know, proposals for when you're looking at growing volume. And um, I'm doing one... Uh, right now for the expansion of um, OR services in orthopedics and um, utilization, you know, and first of all, do you have room to put these patients? Second, what kind of staff do you need? And these, you know, they're cost benefit. And a lot, you would be surprised. A lot of people do not know how to write a good one. Like you don't want it to be, you know, real long, 
but you have to be able to get the information across so you get that staffing, you know, and that you're proving that you're being, you know, looking ahead. Um, so anyway, that's just another skill. And, and it's great to be in a situation where your patient volumes are going up. Um, but if you don't plan for it, you're sunk, you know. So um, anyway, the other thing is just running ongoing grow your own programs. I don't think they're ever going to go away because there's, especially in some of the high, uh, the areas like ICU and, and OR and NICU where they have trouble, you know, finding, there, there's a huge OR shortage right now. And these people, I mean, they are hard to come by. And so I think, you know, at least once, like at the place I'm at right now, we set it up where um, they run two new grad residency programs a year and um, they, we run one PERIAP 101 course. So, and you know, there might be six to 10 nurses in that OR course and, you know, we've needed them. I mean, every year it's, it's like, you know, we've thought that through. And so anyway, instead of just, I mean, that's a recruitment thing, um, but it also helps retention because some of the staff that have done it um, actually come from inside. Like there are med surg nurse who right. said, I want to stay. I want a new opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so that kind of, that one kind of works both ways. Um I think um, some other ones are just like uh, holding recruitment fairs with like HR. And one of the ways that we, some of these have both recruitment and retention in them. One of the ways we found that's been really helpful is to have staff nurses come to those recruitment fairs. And then they get to talk to new potential candidates, you know, and they also start to feel the pride in their own uh, place. And so, you know, instead of just sending HR out there and a manager, bring some of the staff, let them, you know, help interview some of these. And we do mass interviewing with people. And so I, I think that's been a really great, um, really great action step. That was actually a practice that you used to do as a director. You would have staff interview candidates. And I think that was a great recruitment aspect because you it's not you're just not seeing the director or the manager you're actually meeting the people you're going to be working with every day right right yeah well and it and to, i think you know another point i think you were making too Lori, is that you know it gets them to reflect on the positive things in their environment right what's good about yeah. where they're working what they enjoy about it and to put that in words to share with somebody else why would they want to come here you know Right. And, uh, and then it, you know, it helps other people see the environment in a different way too. Um, and I, you know, another thing that you brought up is just that some of these action steps are for both. And so what we know and learned about that is when you have an action step that applies to both poles, it's a priority action step because you're going to get bigger bang for your buck, right? Right. Right. Yeah. You're going to get more, you know, more outcome from one single action, uh, than you are from multiple actions sometimes. So you always want to prioritize those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one is just uh, analyzing core and contingent staffing. I wrote about this in, in the blog that I uh, put out. But that, again, it, it's, um, it is a long and short-term thing because you're looking at options like to fill these daily holes that come up and it's a huge retention thing because if you have your staff burning out because they're working so much overtime or you, you know, have agency staff, I mean, sometimes you have to, but it really, it, you know, it is wearing on, on the uh, staff that actually work there. And so like an example of that, like core and contingent staffing, when you look at that, it can be at a unit level. Like, let's say on a unit, you've got your core staff, which are like full part-time people. And then you may have some per diem people that, you know, are would be a contingency, you know, staff at the unit level. 
And an example of contingency is a flow pool that's global. So you can have strategies that fit both places, you know. Um, and um, when I when I started the float pool here, they had, I mean, this is a two campus place and, you know, 400 beds between them and they had five nurses and we called it a, a you know, float puddle. It was a puddle. <laughs> but um, but even when we when we now it's 50 people big now. And there's three, there's nursing and non-nursing, you know, there's um, ancillary and stuff. But, but even just, even though like for recruitment retention, an example that even trying to implement that, even though people knew it was going to be needed, there was resistance that came up from the people that were here, the, the nurses that were here, you know, like just all kinds of fears and, you know, I'm, I'm like, you guys, we have to do something, you know, you can't keep working all this overtime and we're, we're going to see more patients and, you know, so um, I, I just think having a lot of different staffing options and that go beyond picking the phone up and calling everybody on the list, you know, and wow. so, so anyway, and it helps with the flexibility. And then, you know, what ended up happening um, is we worked through all, you know, all the fears and stuff and, um, made it good for both recruitment and retention so we could get people in. But then, you know, we kept good staff that were wanting to cut down, but there wasn't a part-time position on their unit. They went in the flow pool, you know, so that it ended up like, you know, anyway, it's, it, it again, it, it, you know, helps on both ends of the spectrum. But, and then, you know, I think too, for retention, helping, one of the things I do a lot is just sit down with like a nurse manager, assistant nurse manager. And we start to, I look at what they're doing with scheduling and scheduling is the heart, you know, of, of keeping staff happy and meeting the demands. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look, I often will ask them different questions to try to um, get some more innovative options. Um, you know, and to give staff the most flexibility and control over their schedule that they can have, you know, and sometimes their nurse man, and I'm not just talking about nurse managers, because I work with the whole hospital. And right now working with some ancillary staff, and trying to get them over the hump and the fear of, you know, the head pharmacist, uh, you know, saying, I'm not letting my pharmacy my pharmacists self-schedule themselves, you know, and I have my spreadsheet and I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, these are professional people that can, can self-schedule and, and, you know, so I work with um, more than just the nurses, but, but I think what I, I think what's helpful is to have an automated self-scheduling process and today's people, whether you're going to be recruiting new ones in or you're making your um, millennials happy in your own place, you have to be able to have it where they have it on their smartphone and they do the changes between each other. And they say, you know, Siri, what's my schedule this week? I mean, this is all possible. A lot of places have it. We just implemented it. Um, I just help with implementation here with that. And, um, you know, staff really love that, that they, that they can, um, they can, you know, have that self scheduling and be able to, to have that access. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it really is. Well, it is to them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, both of my sons worked in the restaurant business. And when I'd say, when do you get to work? They'd look at their smartphone and I was like, that is so cool. I had to drive to the hospital and walk in a room and look at the wall, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, and I sat on self-scheduling committees, right? Groups that worked yeah. collectively on the scheduling. So I, it's complex and yeah. it's a, it's a real dance, mm-hmm. you know, to help people get what they need to make sure it's fair across the whole and uh, and to make sure that, you know, the mission's being served, right, that the patients are cared for and there's not big gaps. And 
So um, those sounds like a lot of really great ideas, Lori, and, you know, a lot of great strategies to help people. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we inform people around is kind of like, you know, be on top of it, right? <laughs> Look for the early warning signs of when maybe you're doing a little bit too much of the recruitment side or a little bit too much on the retention Retention. side and you're neglecting, you know, the other, you know, what have you seen in all the years that you've been, you know, managing this yourself and working with healthcare organizations? Are there some real key early warning signs that you've noticed uh, that you've seen come up kind of consistently in the organizations you've worked with or just in your own experience? Yeah. Well, and you know, metrics, uh, Metrics, metrics, metrics. <laughs> data, data, okay. data. <laughs> um, it's really uh, important to, to watch. Um, what I've seen as some of the earliest signs have been like your sick call rate kind of starts to go up and you're not sure why. Um, turnover rate, vacancy rates, productivity numbers starting to look bad. Um, the presence of workforce violence. I've worked with units where um, they're, they seem to be in a downward spiral, you know, and they're not, not managing those polarities at all. And it can take the form of um, bullying, disrespectful treatment from each other. Um, and even like, people throwing things at each other, okay, like in an OR or on a unit, you know. Um, so those kinds of things, and that, it's a big issue across the country, you know, um, but that is one of the warning signs. I think a, a lack of teamwork, you know, and it's like you go on a unit and everybody's uh, every man for himself. They're like hiding in their rooms because um, either the staffing's bad and they don't want to have be asked for help or, um, patient complaints and satisfaction scores always start to tank, um, and staff complaints, um, float staff that don't want to go work on certain units, you know, they'll tell you, I don't want to go there. You know, they're miserable there and they're, <laughs> 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 um, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just high use of agency staff and overtime, um, those things start to and it's it's just a it's just a downward spiral, um, and then I've seen this happen a few places where there's a lack of new applicants for open positions because the message got out in the community, and um, we just got over that hump here um, because they didn't add staffing for a while they didn't give raises. It was out in the community. It was a bad place to work. And, uh, so, you know, one of the other things that, that, um, I'm I'm going back up to an action step because of what, what I just mentioned, but teaching nurse managers how to have conversations with their staff in their councils, their staff councils about recruitment and retention and getting them involved in owning that culture at the unit level um, and out, like, do you have friends out there you talk to in other hospitals that might want to come here, you, you know, and if you're talking bad about the place, then no one's going to want to come here, you know? And so it's a cycle that, um, you know, having staff involvement and being able to teach them about what you're doing, you know, like even that first thing I mentioned with the forecast, take that to your staff and say, here's what we're doing about it. Here's some hope, you know, <laughs> hey, there. You got five positions approved, you know, and um, and this is our plan. And what else did we miss? You know, and so I just think that those the metrics will show. But then you see it also just, you know, in the culture um, and it just. You know, to stop that whole spiral, you have to step back and look at the polarities that are, you know, in the mix here and and then have that balanced action plan to go. Um, but. Have you I'm curious, 
Have you noticed any patterns in the different organizations that you work in? Does there tend to be more of a focus on one or the other? Do you notice a pattern that organizations really tend to heavily focus on recruitment or tend to heavily focus on retention? I'm just curious. Yeah. um, Well, I would probably say that... um, that probably the recruitment side, just because it's, you know, hard to get candidates sometimes, but, um, I don't know. Cause sometimes places are in a, some hospitals are in a place where they actually have to do layoffs and they're not doing either side. You know, like when you talk about polarity, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're in a layoff situation, um, and you don't really care about retention. <laughs> well, <laughs> <Or> too late. <laughs> you, yeah. You're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel there. And you probably, you know how if you, if you over focus on one, it can bring you down in both poles, both sides, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, that actually that could be a warning sign too, but that's pretty far down the road. I would hope you could catch it before that, but. Yeah, I was just I was just yeah. curious. I mean, I, I know every organization is unique, and it depends on a lot of factors and and things. But um, but yeah, I was just I was just curious about that. <laughs> yeah. So, Laura, you mentioned earlier that you know when you tried to help organizations implement some of those action steps, there was resistance, and we also know that you're an advocate for recognizing wisdom and resistance because it is such a core principle in polarities that, you know, there is wisdom and resistance. Sometimes it could be a first clue that, hey, I'm dealing with a polarity here and not a problem. Um, can you share any more about when it comes to the resistance um, in the leveraging of the recruitment retention polarity, like what has shown up for you in organizations? Well, um, just as a leader of change, I mean, every single work group or project team, they're always so surprised, like when it shows up. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And you get that look like, are you kidding me? (laughs) So, you know, it's like if you you could be working on a a recruitment retention, you know, like with staff or with like a work team or something. And you might think you have a really great idea, like I was telling you with that flow pool. And and then all of a sudden, you know, people are like, I'm afraid to do that. What if what if, you know, all of our staff decide to go in the float pool? What if, you know, why do people from the outside going to get to work less holidays in there? I mean, all this stuff. Right. And so I, I that's what struck me the most was just that. Why don't we just name it? and expect it and use it. Right. And I got a lot of questions after I put that first blog out, which is why I wrote the second blog, you know, about resistance, because, um, you know, I thought there's a few things we can do right out of the gate, meaning change your own reaction to it, like expect it and use it as a clue, like a thread to follow. Right. So, yes. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes people that are, that bring forward, it sometimes it takes a lot of courage to bring forward. Um, and they don't always know how to bring the concern or, or, and it shows up like resistance. And that's a polarity too, about with, um, being honest about something, but yet diplomatic candor and diplomacy, you know, um, but I think uh, inviting it, just inviting it, however it's going to come and say, we're, we're going to use that. And then it kind of validates and encourages other people, you know, validates that person saying, I'm really concerned that we're not thinking about this, you know, and then we say, well, we're going to start thinking about it right now. It's going in the plan. Right. But and then really trying to seek, seek out why people resist change. Um, 
And there could be a lot of reasons. It's generally like a fear thing, you know, that they're afraid of something um, or some something um, that the change might bring. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, think the, the beauty of putting it then in a polarity map is it makes it really visible, you know, what their what their fears, how, how they show up, but then what they can do about it so that you can get to the upside of both poles. It validates, like you said, Lori, but it helps, it helps shift the energy with the action steps. Yeah. And especially if you have people that laid, made plan, you know, made the implemented change before. And, you know, like there were people that said, but we planned this float pool a long time ago. And this is how it looked. Well, you paved the way to get us where we are today. And that work is honored. You know, like there could be attachment to um, what they worked on before. And until you honor it and let it out in the open, you know, um, I, uh, I think that that that's, you know, and, and one of the ways to do that is think, think about the resistor. I always love this one. Think of the resistor within you, like, cause you're not, you know, we talk about them, like there's something out here and <laughs> we have it all, we all have it. In oh no, I don't have any resistance in me whatsoever. <laughs> so anyway, and I think, um, you know, that helps to have empathy for someone or you might be the one that's that's having the resistance and you're trying to ask yourself why am I feeling this way you know um is it some kind of an adjustment I have to make you know um but really just you know being able to um I think one of the things that helps is to create some certainty in the face of the change and uncertainty. And if you get people's input and involvement and ownership in these, in the plans and have some simple steps and timetables so that they have some sense, you know, um, I think that helps the, on anything you're working on, you know, the worst thing to do is to go into a room, lock yourself in there, make all the, make all the decisions around the change and then go out and try to, get people to do it. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. That's not going to go very well. And that, that will raise all kinds of uh, resistance, you know? Right. Right. But, well, I think the other thing too, that strikes me is a couple of things I was thinking about is, uh, you know, it's intention, right? Leadership intention. And you, you can't just say, okay, tell me what you're concerned about. And, you know, right. And then not really be genuine about right thinking about what that resistance is right giving it lip service but not really doing anything with it or really considering it i think that's like one of the hugest mistakes that can be made and then i you know lately um been a part of some different groups and one of the, the one of the things that i've been reading about and hearing a lot about is you know what you resist persists so the more you resist the more whatever it is you're resisting is going to persist. So to your point, it's like reflecting. It's just, what is it? Why am I resisting this? And what's that about? And sometimes it just opens you up, right, to a deeper understanding about yourself or even to help people see things differently, you know, because the more you're resisting it, the more you're focused on that thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the more you see it, the more you're going to see of it. So it's just kind of letting yourself open up a little bit. Yeah, and I think if... Uh, I found the vulnerability of that, like sharing that. Well, yeah, I, I'm concerned about it too. You know, I, 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 it's okay for me. You know, the old way of thinking about a leader is, well, you have to act like everything is good and, you know, be that cheerleader. And, but I think it's better to be um, honest and say, yeah, I'm concerned about staffing too, you know, and I'm concerned about keeping good people here too. You know, and so, you know, just sharing that, that, that vulnerability. Um, one of the things I do a lot is uh, plant seeds, you know, like before I even start bringing up something. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I just helped uh, open up two intermediate units, one at each 
hospital here and they didn't, they never had them. And they had like all these critical care patients being held in the emergency department. Okay. And there was no staffing. Like they would pull the staffing off. It was, it was really, I was very concerned for (laughs) patients, but, but rather than just say, okay, you know, this is the, I mean, I actually went and talked with a lot of people and started planting some seeds. Like, have you ever, have you ever thought here about having intermediate units? You know what? I had a nurse manager pull out a full proposal from five years ago, you know? And so I'm like, well, we have to use that. (laughs) (laughs) Good work. (laughs) You know? So um, anyway, and then look, you know, got some of the best practices and stuff now um, to add to that. But, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like you can get stuck in a rut. Like how are we going to staff those ED patients that are being held down there instead of backing up and going, why are we holding them at all? Like, what is the problem here? Oh, oh, well, the ICU is full. And four patients a day out of the, you know, 12 beds are intermediate patients. And so anyway, planting the seeds, just talking about asking people what they've done. Do they think it's a problem? What would they recommend? And I I talked to key physicians and um, managers and, you know, like of the units that MVPs, you know, so that when it came time to actually like I went seeking that to see where the resistance might start to rear its ugly head, you know? And, um, and it's not really an ugly head because I'm saying to use it, but I, I'm saying, <laughs> I, I know oh, I just had that thought. I thought, okay, Lori, fix <laughs> <laughs> like, it out, you know, fix it out. Don't be afraid to look it right in the eye. And, that's right. That's right. Walk you know, up to but, it. It's actually and, your friend. Yep. So, and then it just not, I mean, it just makes it, you know where everybody stands, at least for that moment. And you also know where you can get get help to implement something, like I said, with that. Well, anyway, both both the uh, intermediate units are open and full. And wow. so, <laughs> and <Good> there's work. <laughs> but, but anyway, so, yeah, the resistance piece is big, and it's important. Mm-hmm. So Well, it's present in every polarity. So yeah. everyone. Everyone, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of different layers to that, but yeah. Well, Lori, this has been fantastic. We could talk to you for another two hours, but we have to cut it off. (laughs) (laughs) We have to end sometime, right? We have to end sometime. We'll have to have you come back and talk about something else. But I think, uh, you know, a key takeaway... Um, for me is just how practical this really is. It's it's not just a theory out there in a book on a shelf. I mean, you can apply this in so many different ways and it's just knowing it and wanting to know it. And then it can take you so many different places to really help you manage polaries and have a sustainable and much better outcome. Yeah. Well, and I think too, when it comes to this specific challenge, right, the whole staffing, I think one thing that that I was kind of like, oh, yeah, is when you brought up, right, people that are overstaffed. Like every time you think about staffing, at least for me, I tend to think about understaffing. I never really think about overstaffing. So I was kind of like, oh, gee, you're missing part of that, you know. <laughs> so that was a good reminder that there are some places that may be overstaffed, right? And that's a yeah. different, it's got a different context to it and a different feel to it, you know. But I think, too, just um, what I appreciated was all the different ways you brought for strategies and action steps, right? And how innovative you can be um, and when it comes to figuring out what to do and to step back to see the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just critical because mm-hmm. we're if we see it as a problem, then we're just trying to plug this hole and fix this situation right here without really looking at the bigger picture and knowing that, right, if there's a polarity here, this is going to come back in a different way for not seeing the whole picture. So thanks so much for everything. Yeah. Do you have any last parting words that you'd like to share with our listeners? <laughs> well, I have a lot more stories, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, well, I do. I think uh, it's, it's like we said in the very beginning, it's an ongoing issue. And um I actually really like 
working with it. I know, you know, some people are, oh my God, staffing and scheduling and, um, but it's kind of fun to think of new and different ways to, to manage, you know, the situations. And, um, so I kind of look at it like that, that it's a challenge and that, and it's really rewarding to me to be able to put in longer term, um, things like this, where if I'm not here, I've like contributed somehow to that organization so they can be self-sufficient. It's not a quick fix. Like, like some companies will go in and just like say cut the staff or close the units or, I mean, that only is, it's only short term thinking, right? And then you're not stepping back to try to build the capacity, um, for people to to manage it themselves going forward, and and I think that's what polarity management forces us to do is is to do sustainable work, right? And exactly. Yep. So that would be my parting thought. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Yes. You're so wise. Just love having I you am. on the podcast. So yeah, hopefully we'll see you again. Or I guess you don't see each other on podcasts. <laughs> Well, we're looking at you, but nobody else is. <laughs> but we will definitely be seeing you very soon because we're going to be with you in a couple of days, which we're really looking forward to. Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. All right. You take care. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lori. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.